The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. Today, we're going to talk about near-death experiences with a gentleman by the name of Phil Hoshider. He's written a book called Six Minutes in Eternity. It's about six minutes when he died. He has, he's a farmer from Wisconsin. He was out uh, working out after his work in the field, and he had a cardiac arrest, and he was dead for six minutes. And he remembers everything that happened during that time frame, even though for him it was timeless. And over the next year or so, and through his rehab, he started to get more and more insights and knowing about what it was that really occurred and what life is all about and how sometimes what we're served up is not exactly how things really are. What's interesting is that I've interviewed other folks who've had near-death experiences on the show, including uh, Anita Morjani, who's probably the most well-known near-death experiencer. And a lot of the folks have similar things happen to them. And a lot of the folks have different things that are very individualized based on their life, their experiences, and really what they need to know. For instance, with Philip, he didn't... uh, have a, a guide right in front of him talking to him. He wasn't told about his life's work, his life's work, why he needed to go back, where he was, and, and no life review, nothing like that, where others have had that, and others have gotten very crystal clear messages about, no, you've got to go back, and this is where you want to be. The one thing that's consistent, though, with Phil and everybody else is that they really like it, when where, the place where they were when they were dead. And each landscape, if you will, is, is different. What they see is different. What they experience is different. Yet there are some similarities in that. It feels like love. It feels like warmth. warmth. It feels like this is a place that you can't describe using words. It can only be experienced. And everyone is challenged by finding the right words to describe what is going on when you leave kind of the 3D and leave linear time and get to a place where everything's happening at the same time. Everything is, meaning everything. And that's uh, quite a challenge. But the good news is Phil is a writer. He's written 30 books on farming, and he does a good job and very eloquent as he looks back on the experiences and gets the realization and the knowing what life is really about. So I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Philip Hushider. And it's 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 a true tale. And this is his experiences in his own words. And we bring it to you because we want to bring you the best insights and experiences on Guys Guys Radio, and you may have had near-death experience, excuse me, you may know somebody who's had one. I myself had one a few years ago, as close as it was to a near-death experience. I wasn't dead, but I was having an emergency, if you will, uh, uh, appendicitis attack that I didn't realize what it was. I had incredible pain in my abdomen. There was like a gas uh, gas buildup that I couldn't release. 
And it turned out I had to have my emergency, I had to have my uh, appendix taken out. And, uh, but while I was in the state of pain and discomfort in my apartment in San Diego, my life force began to leave my body. And I was thinking at the time, is this it? Am I leaving or am I staying? And I intended myself to get back in my body. And uh, then I went to the hospital. Then they took my appendix out and I had all types of infections building up. I, my life was saved because I got there just before the appendix kind of blew up. But the point is, that was my experience. Have you had one? Do you know anybody who's had one? Are they similar? Are there dis- diff- different things that have occurred? And do they match what we're going to hear today from Philip Ashider on Guys Guys Radio? So let's get into it and talk to Phil straight away. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, the interview portion of our show. And today we're going to talk about near-death experiences. I've got a special guest. His name is Phil Hashider, and he was dead for six minutes. And he wrote a book about it. And we're going to get into what he learned in that short, brief period of time, that snapshot of time, what was going on in his life before what happened afterwards, and then looking back over the next year or so, what he really learned, because the six minutes feel like an eternity, but uh, they're actually six minutes. And the name of the book is, and I'm going to hold it up for our YouTube and Rumble viewers, Six Minutes in Eternity, a memoir, Philip Hashider. This book, really, it's an explanation of what Phil experienced during the time he was being revived from his near-death experience and an exploration of the full awareness of his life and it's been opened up for him with a new set of eyes. His interpretation of the experience and in another dimension, his time there offers a pathway for others to follow the journey with him. So welcome once again to the show, Philip Hashiter. Nice to meet you, Phil. Well, it's nice to meet you too, Robert. Uh, This is a real pleasure for me to speak with you about my experience. Well, I've interviewed other folks who've had near-death experiences, and having read your book, what I find is there's some similarities, and then they're all different. So let's get into what happened with you. What was happening in your life when you had your near-death experience, and were you familiar what a near-death experience was? I'm going to start with your last question first. No, I really wasn't. I had thought about death over time uh, previous to that morning. Uh, but never really could experience what it might be. I mean, you can imagine what you, it's like when you're dead because you go to sleep and you don't recognize anything until you wake up in the morning. Uh, so I hadn't read any NDE experiences, and I probably should mention at this point that I did not read any after mine, um, mainly because I was still struggling with trying to understand what happened to me, and I didn't really want outside influences uh, to enter into it. So I pretty much neglected them until I got into writing about it. And it was only within the last six, eight months that I started reading others. But I wanted to keep my own uh, perspective uh, as close to myself as I could, so I wasn't influenced. Um, let me just make a quick right turn there. So when you did read others' experiences, and I've had others on the show, Jacob Cooper, Anita Morjani, amongst others, um, did you find, like I mentioned, there was similarities, but there, there were individual experiences also? Yes, 
Yes, there were similarities, uh, and uh, I could highlight them. You know, there's the light, uh, there's the absolute peace, the absolute uh, feeling of love, the encompassing. And what's interesting about that portion of it is what I felt in those six minutes. I can look back now and recall them, and I get this warmth welling up inside me even now. Uh, And the only way that can happen is if it actually happened to me in that dimension and I was able to bring it back with me here. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there are similarities, but I think each person, because we are individuals, uh, will have a different experience. And I don't doubt that for one minute. I can only explain what my experience is or was and what the experience still is to me today. Yeah, I found it interesting. And I want to I want to take a step back after this, but that when you were in that uh, those six minutes, it was kind of articulated to you that this is what it is for you. So it was an individualized experience. I don't know if it's that's based on your expectations, based on your soul's journey or whatever, but I found that pretty interesting. So we we can get into that, but let's, for the benefit of our uh, each one of our listeners out there, let's talk about um, what actually happened. So you were a farmer, you were going to the gym to work out, and you had some type of cardiac arrest. Yes. Uh, Just briefly, before I ended up at the gym, uh, I had been out in the pasture that morning with our beef cattle. We pasture graze beef. And every morning I would go out to walk amongst them. I mean, I could get right up to them, pet them and, and get close to them, talk to them or whatever. That morning was really unusual because I could get no more than 300 feet from them. And the first one looked up at me and ears perked like there was danger and took off across the field at full pace. Uh, Then the others quickly followed. And it was like they had seen a ghost. But I did not pick up on that. I thought, well, this is just really strange. So I I turned around, went back to the house, and I went into our hospital's local uh, fitness center because I was uh, working on uh, my blood pressure issues at that time. I had gone in, changed, went upstairs, uh, stretched, greeted the staff, the uh, three people that were watching the room, and sat down and did 20 arm curls. Well, I got up, and for the oddest reason or sensation, I looked down at both of my forearms because they were tingling like when you lay on lie on your arm and it goes to sleep when you get up it, it it tingles well both of them did that and i thought well this is really unusual well that was the last thing i remembered for at least eight hours and it was during my collapse that uh fortunately there were three people that could drop what they were doing and start giving me cpr the ambulance building was right across the street. So as I was told later, they came flooding over. And uh, the, thing, the, the thing that's really hard to explain is that I didn't realize I had died. And I found myself in a space that I can only 
describe as a huge amphitheater. Now, one of the things I struggled with is I, it's easy for me. I have a six inch stack of papers to explain the physical things that happen to me. Those are the medical reports. I also have another stack of papers of what I later wrote out to try to understand this whole thing that happened. And it's easy to find the human words to explain my physical condition. It's really difficult to explain another dimension where vocabulary and words are not used as the transmission of electronic uh, energy okay. between, okay. well, for, for lack of a better word, entities that it in, inhabit that dimension. Okay, so before we get there, um, so you had a car, uh, like a heart attack, cardiac arrest, whatever, and I don't mean whatever in a dismissive way, but something happened with your heart. You were out. You were at this in this amphitheater. In that time frame, um, were you floating above your body? Were you aware of what was going on with the people attempting to resuscitate you? Um, you said you were dead. Were you pronounced dead? Did you think you were dead? This is in the moments before you were in the amphitheater. What was going on in that short slice of time? Well, it happened instantaneously. Uh, I was looking at my forearms, and then the next thing I knew, I was sitting in what appeared to me to be a raft uh, floating on energy waves. And it didn't even occur to me at that point that I wasn't uh, in, in, in the fitness room anymore. Uh, the, the whole aspect of trying to understand this was trying to put words to it, mm -hmm. which I, I think I've accomplished, well, at least satisfies me, uh, to explain the situation I was in. Uh, my heart just stopped. I mean, I had, eventually I had no residual effect on it. It just it stopped. It, what happened was because of two blockages that I didn't know I had. Uh, so when when that occurred, I did not feel uh, that I was hovering above my body. I just left. Uh, uh, when, when you got into the, um, you mentioned the, the raft with the energy waves and the amphitheater, what was, take us through um, the, the sequence of what exactly what happened. Okay, you, you, you were in a different place. Where were you before the energy waves? on the little raft in the amphitheater and take us through those six minutes. Okay. Well, like I said, I looked at my forearms and that was it. Okay. Then the next realization I had was that I was in a com place completely different. I mean, I didn't quite comprehend what the place was. Uh, of course, I wasn't using my human brain at that point. Uh, so I, there, there was no hovering above my body that I recall. There was no, there was no pain. I didn't feel any pain. It wasn't a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in this area, it was like I had been there before, but didn't know why. And I talk about the six minutes, and that's the amount of time in the medical report that they 
identify as when I collapsed to when they finally got my heart started. Now, while I was in that dimension, it was like I had been there for centuries. That was the feeling I had in that energetic state. I mean, time uh, in that dimension is nothing. I mean, it doesn't exist. Were you aware, Phil, at that time where you were that like, okay, I'm Phil and here I am and I'm not in the gym or I'm not in the hospital and I'm in a different place. And you say you were comfortable. You felt you'd been there for a long time. What did you have any correlation between the life you'd been living and now this this place you were now? No, I uh, some people may say that they do and that's fine, but I did not. I did not have a recollection that I had actually been in a fitness room. Okay, uh, it was a very present moment where mm-hmm. uh, history was not of any consequence. It was just well, people say live in the moment. Well, that's what it was. Uh, because there was only this moment, and then there was the next moment when I realized something else was going on, and then the next moment. But all that, all that time stretched. And even though it was six minutes, it, it could have been 60,000 years in our time uh, concept of it. So that was, uh, I didn't realize that until later on after I had, uh, started writing notes about what I had experienced there. But at the time, what I felt was that, wow, I've been here a long time. Come to find out it was only six minutes. Well, it seemed quantum leap longer than that. Okay. And that's that's the best I can explain that portion of it. Okay, let's, let's do this. Let's go through the six minutes as uh, we, and I'll put that in quotes. And then we'll get into kind of what you learned afterwards, thinking back and starting to compile your notes for the book. But um, so you went into this place. It uh, felt kind of timeless. Time was not linear. Um, You weren't using your brain. I guess you were as a connection to overall consciousness, it sounds like. And you were uh, in a vibratory kind of place. Uh, where there were waves of vibration, you were in a, like a little boat, and then you mentioned something about kind of a big amphitheater. So take us through the six minutes for the sake of our understanding of what six minutes is and what was recorded, and then we'll get back into what that all meant, and I'll ask you some questions on that. My special guest, by the way, Philip Hashider, Six Minutes in Eternity, the book on his NDE. He's a farmer from Wisconsin. He's written 30 books on it. Just an amazing story, and I have to say, you did an amazing job articulating what happened when you went back and started thinking about it and your descriptions as best I've ever read in terms of the near-death experience. Well, thank you. And that, again, is something we can talk about later because okay. I did have, did have help from uh, my, uh, I'll use the term, my guides okay. in, in remembering mm-hmm. and constructing it. Okay. Okay, well, the first thing I remember that I was sitting in what I can best describe as a raft. And I was floating on these energetic waves that were coming at me. And not only were they coming at me, they were going through me. And it just was warm, like you you take a hot shower after you come in out of the cold, how it just drenches you from your head to your feet, even though I did not have a physical body. Uh, But if you think of it in that terms, it it will make a little bit more sense. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm looking around, and there are other entities doing the same thing I'm doing. 
Human? We're not moving. We're, we're just what? sitting there floating. But were they, were they human, Phil? They were spiritual like me. I was okay. in a, okay. a spirit essence. Okay. Of, I did recognize that the outline of my particular spirit essence was uh, like filaments you put together to construct a body form. But it was not a body. It was all energetic threads. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked at, I remember looking at both my hands and thinking, this really isn't where I was before. And it was at that point where I realized, oh, I'm not in the fitness gym anymore. <laughs> You're not in Wisconsin anymore. <laughs> not, not in, certainly not in Wisconsin. So um, as I, I looked around and I saw all these other uh, entities floating on the same waves, I finally looked up to see what was in front of me. And the best vocabulary I can use to explain it was this huge glowing Million suns, million, million suns. It was just enormous. It, it, it encompassed the whole uh, diameter of my vision. But yet I could reach out and I could touch it. And it, it didn't burn. But all of these energy waves were coming out of this. At that moment, I realized that, oh, this is bigger than what I thought it was. Um, and I interpreted it as being. Uh, the source of all creation, because everything was coming out of it. Uh, you can call it God, you can call it the divine spirit or whatever, but it was that energetic force. And at the time, it was, it was so peaceful. I was not afraid of anything. Uh, I felt like I was wanted there, like I was loved to be there. Uh, I was very much at peace. But again, I didn't realize that I had left where I was. And during this time that I'm experiencing this, there are people frantically trying to bring me back, uh, not knowing where I was at that moment. And I didn't even have a way to tell them, don't bother. You know, this is great. Uh, just let me go. Uh, but uh, that that was the first realization I had was this huge glowing ball. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. And about this time, I finally realized I should probably look around to see what's going on. And don't ask why, but that's, that, was, that was the uh, remembrance of what I had that I did next. So I, I turned around and I saw all of these waves that had passed through me. And through everyone else that was there, I, whatever entity it was, and it kept going into the far distance behind me. If we if we use uh, linear measurements in a in a dimension that doesn't need them, uh, so they were going through me and continued on forever. The really strange thing uh, to me at that time was that as I looked farther into the distance of eternity, it became much clearer. I don't know how else to explain that. And people have asked me, some people that have asked about, or asked me about it and I've explained, 
um, it has to be true because I don't have that kind of in the imagination. Uh, all that I learned there had to transpose itself through the time-space dimension to get back to me in my physical body. But in, in looking at the eternity, what I did see is, it, you know, I'll, I'll use a, an example. If we compress everything we know about our universe for, from the distances, if we compress that down into a single sheet of paper, okay, and we hang it up on a hook and put it out in space, and we take another dimensions, another universe, and do the same thing. There were all of these universes suspended in, in this eternal dimension that did not move. They were next to each other, but they were separate. And part of what I understand now with, with the giant golden globe, the source, the God, whatever you want to call it, is that there were little jets of sparks coming out and going in. I mean, it was like an international airport. And I took those to be, to, I took that to understand as individuals who had been created within the, the God force, the divine source, the source of all creation. And they were going out. Now, they were going out to different universes, different uh, dimensions. And to me, that makes a lot of sense after having experienced what I did, that we only see what, what humans want to see. Mm -hmm. But once you get beyond that understanding that there is something out there beyond that, it opens up everything. Because mm -hmm. eternal is eternal. I mean, that's a tough concept for a lot of people to, to understand. Let me ask you about uh, time then. Did, did you notice a time? Because we, we look at things in a linear time, and apparently right. time is not linear. That's just how we experience it. What was your experience of time while you were in your six minutes? There was no time. Uh, that That's not to dismiss your question. It's just... Mm -hmm. There was no concept of time. Okay. Uh, it just was. Uh, all I had to do was be. Uh, I wasn't asked to do anything. But time did not factor in as we consider it. Uh, we, we have to look at it as the linear portion here. But once you get beyond this dimension into one beyond us, time doesn't exist. So uh, that's why it was really hard for me to understand that I was only gone for six minutes because it seemed like I had been gone for thousands okay. of years. So, okay, so you're in this place and you see the universe is kind of being hung up, uh, kind of two-dimensional, I guess, three-dimensional, whatever, but they're all hung up there for you. And you, the orb, the sun, next, what happens then? The, the next thing that happened was that uh, <laughs> I ended up looking at my feet lying on a hospital bed. 
because by that point they had uh, at at that point that they had revived me, I was no longer in that dimension. It was like I was there, and then it, I I was pulled back, and from there on it it goes into my recovery uh, period. Mm-hmm. But those were the those were the main things that I brought back to me from from that dimension. Okay. Let's let's take it from there then. So those were the six minutes. But then over time, over the next year or so, you went through the recovery and the book gets into a lot of things that happened. You had some um epiphanies about your own life and you started to go keep going back to these six minutes and you started to learn a lot. I really started to blossom the learning and then you you wrote the book. Uh, tell us about what kind of like, were there any trigger points or kind of inciting incidents, if you will, using a literary term in terms of what kind of woke you up to the fact that, hey, I have to really see this in a different light. You mentioned your guides. What all happened to get you to the point of writing the book and understanding, as I guess you're still going through a process as to what actually happened and what is life all about and what is your purpose in terms of articulating this and sharing this with the world? The process, uh, the latter part of your question, the process is still ongoing. I mean, I I have a pretty good grasp of what happened there, and that hasn't changed over the period of time. Everything I remembered back then is still as fresh to me today. Uh, The biggest question I had after I... After I was revived, went through some sort of a recovery, could finally understand what happened to me because I had no idea that I had had been out for six minutes. Or my heart, basically, my heart had stopped for six minutes before they got it going again. Uh, The big question was why? I mean, that became the flashpoint, the Mm-hmm. inspiration for looking into what happened because why didn't it happen an hour earlier when it was out the pasture and there was nobody else around to help me why did it happen in a fitness area where there were trained personnel who literally dropped what they did and uh, started giving me CPR why did it happen at that time when I had access to the full uh, EMTs right across the street. Uh, that that was the big question of why I started to really investigate what happened to me. I mean, it so, was why. You know, t- so tell us this, Phil. So, what did you? Let, let's get right to the point. You had the experience. Some time transpired. You kept going back to it, which is perfectly understandable. What do you know about life now that you didn't know beforehand? What did you learn? What should people know? Um, how insignificant some of the things we hold dear really are. Uh, stuff. I mean, stuff that mm-hmm. you have. Material. Uh, yeah, material is uh, not very high on my list. I mean, I need to have clothes. I need to have a car to get around. Uh, and that sort of stuff, which which is fine. But to have more of everything. Uh, I think one has to ask why. 
uh, what, what is the purpose? What does it serve you as being? Um, I did, in uh, uh, that, there was, there was an aspect of all of this that really created problems in our household. Not that Mary and I, you know, didn't get along. It's just that I had this experience that she couldn't possibly know without having been there with me. And so I come back and I'm changed because of what I've seen and how insignificant some of the things that I dealt with on a daily basis didn't make any difference. That became very frustrating. And I understand that now, but at the time it was like, you know, what difference does it make if this bill gets paid? You know, in the end, <laughs> that company won't be there anyway. <laughs> you know, so it, it did create some, I would say, standoffs mm-hmm. as to, you know, get with it mm-hmm. for me. Have, have other people um, picked up vibrationally that you're different now? Uh, obviously, you're gonna you've gone through some things that they don't know anything about, and some of them are going to be doubters, etc. But just in the way they treat you, do you feel that you're carrying a different vibe, so to speak, when you're dealing with people, maybe even with your wife? Well, she noticed the difference right away, and it was because in in her uh, and this is not meant as a put down. Her interpretation of it was that I I really didn't care. But it was a recognition on my part that a lot of this stuff that we deal with is just window dressing and pageantry. Uh, it doesn't have, in, in the overall scheme of things, it doesn't have a great importance. Uh, I couldn't understand what she was going through looking at me, looking at my change, because I had gone through it. So you you have these two <laughs> different perspectives about the same event and come up with two different uh, ways that you react to. So that that was go ahead. No, 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 finish up. That Please. was that was a real challenge over time. And yeah, there are people who who said they noticed differences in me. There are also a lot of people who never knew anything happened to me because I always look so good. The next day, even the nurses and the doctors couldn't understand why my vital records or my vital uh, statistics were normal. Mm. Um, So they could see that portion of it, but they couldn't see what really had happened to me on the inside. Well, I got to tell you, first of all, my special guest, once again, Six Minutes in Eternity, the author Philip Ascheider. you you you've articulated to us that uh you know you realize some of these things that we take as so important aren't really that important i have to tell you and uh, our listeners that the eloquence that you've demonstrated in your writing looking back is far more than that i want to read a little passage here and maybe you can talk about that because you see life and our relationships and our families and what happens afterwards way differently now and you really dimensionalize it in wonderful words so if you might if you if i may um page 336 here it says i learned that we will remember everything we experience here we will remember everyone we knew here in this lifetime we have family friends our activities but these remembrances will be transformed through a higher octave of energetic vibration that we will agree to inhabit 
and that will reform them through an eternal lens of love and acceptance. That's that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of your uh, recollections and your interpretation of it over time. Talk to us about some more of that, about what you learned about, you know, obviously some things that we think are so important, the stuff isn't, but you really have a, a very clear uh, perspective on what is and what isn't and what's important and what is not. Well, the most important thing we can do uh, in this dimension is is to love the person standing next to us. Now, that may be difficult, but it's why we're here. We're here to learn. Um, we chose at some point in the previous existence that we wanted to come here to learn. So that's why we were uh, born of our parents, that we come here to be born within this dynamic structure, because the the inner essence of ourselves, our soul, cannot function in this lower dense dimension without a human body. And we come as another human because that's our species. And so we learn as we go through this life, and I'm I'm absolutely certain, now this is me, I'm absolutely certain that we take all these lessons with us. Good, what we would consider good lessons or what we would consider maybe bad lessons, that all goes with us as we continue on. Now, one thing that I do believe and, and could see was that beyond this life lies another one. And another one, and another one, and another one for all eternity, because our spirit, our soul, uh, our inner essence, whatever whatever it is you want to call it, cannot be destroyed. Oh, our body can, because it's not going to last forever. But what makes us us is going to continue on forever. Through eternity, because what's going to happen to it? It's not going to. It's not going to dissipate. Let me let me ask you this, Phil. Um, so you believe in reincarnation. You're 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 convinced of that. Um, you know that when you go from one existence to the next, do you carry along with you the learning you had in your previous existence, or am I just thinking in linear terms? Um, could you go like the next life could go back? Or do you start over? Do you reset and you have to learn everything again? You can only get so high and then you go back. Or do you continue picking up where you left off? Boy, that's a good question. Because uh, I haven't come to any real conclusions <laughs> on that yet. Uh, what... <laughs> Because I always wonder about that because it's like if you get all that you get to a certain point in this life and then you're old and then you die and you okay you're going to be recycled you get into the next body you start from scratch again and you only get to a certain point or do you pick up where you left off so that was yeah well no I I think that's a, to me that's a valid question <laughs> because I don't have at this stage I do not have any recollections of a previous life. Not yet. Um, I use I use a metaphor of of a computer. 
say you have, uh, a, and, and connecting to the human brain, say you have a human brain that can hold, what, eight gigabytes of information, and uh, you're exposed to intelligence, uh, energy that requires storage of a thousand gigabytes. So I believe I was only given what I could handle when I came back here. Whether that's eight, 10, or 12, I, I have no idea. But I do believe that I experienced more than I could possibly remember here in this physical form, because I don't think my brain is big enough to handle it all. And so I think in, I don't, I don't want to say it's storage in the cloud, but uh, it, it would be a kind of a way to look at it that that knowledge that you experienced is there. It's the ability or inability, either way, of being able to access it. Because there is so much information and knowledge available when you start moving between dimensions that how, how could you possibly remember it all? Mm -hmm. So I think I just had a little bit of an aspect of what it all was. Now, I believe that it is with me somewhere and that okay. eventually I will reach a dimension where I can understand it all. I don't think this is the one yet, but... Now, you uh, mentioned guides now, and you also mentioned Paul Selig in the book. We just had Paul Selig, the world-renowned channel, on the show, uh, talking about his 11th channel book. Where, What was the communication you had, and how did your guides contact you, and who are your guides? Uh, I can't give them a name, because I, they, I was never given a name. Okay. Um, it occurred at one of the... Uh, seminars of Paul's that my wife and I attended. And por a portion of the uh, conference is where we, we are in a line and he comes down as, as a receptor and faces each person right. and basically acts as a mirror to that person. And this was uh, five months, six months after I had collapsed. And I, at that point, I was starting to ask questions like, you know, why am I still here? You know, why couldn't I be there? Because I was so great. And I've got all this crap to deal with here in this life. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I was struggling at that time, trying to really comprehend everything. And one of my one of my questions to myself was, did I really experience this the way I remember? Or, or is this just a fantasy? It was something I dreamt up. Um, so as she was coming down the line, that was my thought. And I, I, you know, I can't quantify that because it was my thought. And so my, my question to the mirroring aspect with the guides was, did I really experience all that? <laughs> and is it true? And all I got, those were the two questions that I asked. In my mind, just before Paul stepped in front of me, and he, looks, and he looked at me, and 
I got this flash, like like a strobe light flash, and it said, yes, what you experienced was true. You are not deceived. We would not do that. And so after, after this was all done and there was a break, I went up to Paul and I said, explain what happened to me the previous October. And I said, when I was standing there in front of you, there was this flash that came into your left eye. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I felt it, but I didn't know what it meant. And so now he, he was able to understand why that had come through him. So it was, it was a, really a, a metaphysical sort of thing that happened. And it just was. So from there, very, were you, were they, in t have you had like communication on an ongoing basis with the guides? Did they help you with the book? Not on an, on, yeah, not, not on an ongoing basis. Uh, occasionally I will get a message that, uh, you know, pull yourself up, you know, you're here for a purpose. And so that usually gets me out of my doldrums or right, my sure. funk and, and get on with it. Uh, mainly because that's when I have a lapse in this form, in, in this life, where, man, I could just go back and do it. This be great, and I, yet I got to deal with all this stuff that's in front of me here, and so that became. That's usually when they come in. To, it's it's not a very overt thing. It's just mm -hmm. like you have a job, get on with it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Phil Hasheter, uh, six minutes in eternity. Last question for you: How do the cows treat you now? Well. Um, about uh, about two years ago, we had. We, I can't tell you because we don't have any cattle right now. Um, we found a young couple that were looking to start a beef herd, and uh, we sold it to them. And Mary and I had decided that after sixty years of working with cattle, that might be sufficient. And so we we don't have any okay. any animals now, but livestock. How about right after though the uh, did they treat you differently right after the uh, six minute incident? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I had no problem with them after that. <laughs> it was, it was a, interestingly, it was a signal that I didn't pick up on, and I usually was pretty pretty aware of what our cattle were doing out in the pasture. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> So, yeah, we don't have any right now. Okay. And whether they come back again at some, some other time, I, I can't say right now. Okay. Where can people learn more about you, Philip, and um, get your book? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm on Facebook at P. Haasider Books. Okay. Um, my book is available through Amazon. It was published by Lisa Hagen Books, uh, who, who lives in... Uh, uh, Virginia. And she was the one who believed in my story and uh, has run with it. And I'm very grateful to her for that. So those those are the places where they, they can either get a hold of me uh, if they have a comment or buy the book if okay. they're interested. Well, thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Maybe in another year, you'll have a lot more 
dimensionalization of everything that happened. There'll be more from you on this. Again, the name of the book is Six Minutes in Eternity, a memoir, Philip Hoshider. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Robert. If I can add one more comment. Sure. Uh, I'd like to put in a plug for all the EMTs and the ambulance services in whichever community people live. Uh, I support ours <laughs> mainly because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here talking with you. Of so they, they typically fly under the radar until they're needed. So I would suggest people support. They're worthy of your support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you again, Philip. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, what a terrific conversation with Phil Hashider. Uh, he, he's had his own experience. He's a good writer. I can understand why. You know, he, he's one of these regular people, if you will, and I say that with all respect, that has had a spiritual experience and have been tasked with sharing that what they learned about life after this 3D experience that we go through and what is on the other side, at least what Phil experienced, and he shares that with us. And then, as always, it's up to you to make a determination if this is something you, you buy into, this is something that you accept, and this is something you want to kind of fold into your own experience to be aware of and, and how you look at life and how you experience life. That's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. We bring you information. We bring you guests who have a story and some insights in their journey to share. And then it's, it's for you to determine if it's right for you. And I simply just screen and bring the guests on and I interview them and connect with them and hopefully share some information that can help you. And we're here every Wednesday evening, Guys Guys Radio. We start on KCAA in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on KCAA. You can listen live, you can stream, you can download. Every Thursday, the podcast blasts out across over uh, just about every podcast platform. We're downloaded in 100 countries. It's easy to find, just my name, Robert Manny, Guys Guys Radio, and our YouTube and Rumble post late in the day on Thursday, and uh, so you can watch the interviews if you want to simply just watch the interviews, you can do it and uh, appreciate that, and then we're on UK Health Radio, the world's largest talk health radio station in the world, it's digital, we're on four times every weekend. And you can also catch any of our episodes on demand on UK Health Radio. I also write a column for UK Health Radio's digital health magazine called Health Triangle Magazine. I write a column called Aging is a Choice, which is really about my perspective on our collective consciousness and agreement about what aging is in our society, which is about kind of getting old, diminishing, and you know, get out of the way, you're old. And uh, I don't like that, and I don't think it's true, and I don't think it's necessary. And I, I articulate some of my experiences and some of the things I do to keep me young and vital this month, or excuse me, for this month's article that's going to post in the November issue is about how being an older dad keeps me young. And it's my experience of being an older dad that really has kept me young and keeps me young. I have a 10-year-old son, and it's a, he's a great teacher for me. And I wouldn't trade 
our experience and time together for anything. So I write about that. It's a short article, but I think you'll enjoy it. And there's going to be a lot more in terms of my aging as a choice work coming up. So if you enjoy the guests and content I bring you each and every week, the Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV, please support us by subscribing to our platforms, rate, review, follow, wherever you consume Guys Guys Radio. Give us a shout out, whether it's social media, uh, you want to make a comment, you want to share, you want to uh, put comments in on the YouTube, feel free. Let me know what we're doing right. Let me know what you want to see on the show, what type of guests you want to have, and I'm, I'm there for you. You can also catch more of me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, including some of the work we've done on aging as a choice. You can also download on my website three free chapters of my novel, which is really the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guy to Love, called by Dan Wakefield, author of Going All the Way. He calls it the men's successor to Sex in the City. It's a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stake world of Madison Avenue. Again, three free chapters, and then if you want to buy the book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books, you can download it, uh, or you can buy the physical copy. Thank you for your support there. The book's got great reviews, and it's still selling and selling and selling, so I'm very appreciative of that. I want to thank my special guests who I've thought leaders that I've connected with over the past couple of years for the show, over 700 of them. Also, I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris, and Ryan, my strategy lead. And most of all, I want to thank you, the listener and the viewer of the show, because you make it happen. I'm there for you. I'm trying my very best to bring you the best guests I can to give you new information. You can determine if it's right for you. But that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. So thanks so much. I'm going to see you next week. And until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>